So, you know, the figurehead, he's hanging out with the other uh, bosses, other World Economic Forum types, and they're getting busy building back better. And they, they get into a side conversation. So Macron, Macron from France and the figurehead are talking. And it turns out that, that the president of France actually may know something <laughs> about OPEC and oil. And the figurehead sitting here listening just exactly like when you show your cat how to use a combination lock. But he told me two things. One, I'm at the maximum, maximum. What he claims. This is my commitment. Second, told me, according to us, the Saudis can increase a little bit, but one or fifty or a little bit more, and they, they don't have huge capacities. And at some point, the staffer walks over and says, okay, okay, uh, it's time for applesauce. Actually, he says, no, we need the nuclear codes. Zach Abraham will tell us who actually knows what they're talking about here. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. And thanks to our partners at Allen's Artisan Soaps, you got a chance to talk to young Allen um, two days ago. Such fun. And they're now in a retail store in Huntington Beach. And a lot of this is because you guys have rallied behind this company that supports life and creativity in the personage of young Allen, the chief soap officer there. Zach Abraham knows all about that company. In for a pound, in for a penny, in for a pound. He's got that stuff in his company. Zach joins us back on the Todd Herman Show. Great to have you, brother. Hey, good to be back. And uh, a little note on that. One of your listeners called up to, to schedule a meeting with us. But before he would, he asked our, uh, he asked our, our, I hate saying receptionist because she does so much more for us. But anyway. Uh, the girl that answers the phones for us, he, he asked her, what before I schedule a meeting, what kind of coffee do you guys use and what type of soap do you use the office? He had to get it. He had to get employee verification that I wasn't just blowing smoke. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Right? I, Trust I but know. verify. That's the Reagan way. Trust but verify. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, you're the one who turned me on to this video of Macron. Um, and the figurehead. So let me play this again and uh, help everybody understand this. Um, these guys are standing together at a meeting of the super elites and uh, the World Economic Forum types planning our demise. I'm at the maximum, maximum. What he claimed, and this is my commitment. Second, told me, according to us, the Saudis can increase a little bit, but one or fifty or a little bit more, and they, they don't have huge capacities. <laughs> And I, and I just, I'm watching, and you, you alerted me to this, Biden is sitting there um, and he has no clue what Macron is saying. And we didn't get the audio, yeah. but then the staffer comes and, and all of a sudden it's time for a very, very important session of, um, of the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> well, the, 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 I, you and I have talked about this before, but when we heard, um, I remember Chase Taylor, our, our analyst, really sharp guy. Uh, he and I actually had an extended conversation about this because Biden was planning this trip over the Middle East to meet with, you know, uh, several different OPEC members and discuss 
whether they could increase output. And it was a real head scratcher for us because we're sitting there going, what is this all about? What kind of theater is this? You know, what are they trying to get across? Because it's a popular meme you see out there and you'll see it on CNBC and, oh, well, we got to, you know, the OPEC spare capacity, OPEC spare capacity. This is a story that they've been talking about for years. And um, OPEC doesn't have any spare capacity. If they do, it's extraordinarily limited. It's not enough to make a difference on a global supply, you know what I mean, where it's really going to change the global supply dynamics at all. And they're, they're pumping all out. And people, once again, really misunderstand what that means. It, it takes years and investments of millions, even billions of dollars to increase capacity. So it's not like a switch you can flip. And that, that's why we were scratching our heads going, why is Biden going over there? We just thought it was Kabuki theater. Well, then I hear that thing between he and Macron, and he didn't know. Like, this was news to him. And... I, this is one of the things that you and I discussed before too, where we've said, look, either, either it's a conspiracy and these people know exactly what they're doing or uh, they're complete idiots. And now I'm starting to think it's probably a mixture of both, right? The, the handlers in the background certainly have, I just, I, they have to know something. They, they, they have to know this, but uh, if you want to know why Biden's out there spewing all this nonsense, you can see the clip, Todd. He didn't have a clue what Macron was talking no, about. No, no. And this is, to me, it's a three-layer cake. So you start with evil scheming people um, on top. And um, on the bottom are, are not very smart, subservient people like Joe Biden, who is, look, I was just like, I get my 10%. My son Hunter's got hooker problems. He can't, you know, has to text me and he's got a, a Russian hooker and she's, he's got guy, he's 10 grand into her. He's got to get wired five grand. And you've heard that clip. Have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then in the center of that, unfortunately, is the middle class, you know, being squeezed between between I hate that phrase, the middle class. Um, Then and I want to ask you about this, because this is where this to use the phrase of uh, that very, you know, very, very um, observant Christian, that that great discipled man, Reverend Wright. This is when the chickens come home to roost is gas prices. And, you know, new conservatives would be like Reverend Wright. What, he's a Christian? No, no, no. He was Barack Obama's pastor. He's the furthest thing from a Christian. Um, this is a supermarket CEO, and uh, I think better known as the founder and chairman and CEO of United Refining, John Katsimatis. And I'm curious what you think of his estimation here. Well, I will give you, uh, and I will give you the good news and the bad news. Okay. Uh, the prices are going to still go up during Fourth of July weekend. Uh, meat, poultry are up another 30%. Eggs, dairy continue to rise. That's the bad news. The good news is I believe we have reached peak oil prices. Uh, I believe the 125, 130 level was, was the peak level and those prices are easing right now. Uh, and what does that mean? This, that means that maybe inflation is gonna go down. Maybe. Uh, there's a, so in the interim, uh, and this is kind of what <laughs> in the interim, in the reality, <laughs> in the interim, um, he, he, he could be right for a short period of time. The, 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 but it's not for the reasons that people think, um, what the fed is doing to aggressively target or, or, or address inflation um, 
I honestly think that you're, you're in absolute stall speed right now economically and you're beginning to fall. Okay, so the, the real estate market has basically come to a grinding halt in most places in the country. And just to clear this up for people, um, it, it isn't about price, it isn't about quote unquote home prices about ready to just blow up and it's not an 08, 09. But when you take the 30 year mortgage from 3% to 6%, your increase of, if we look at the difference on a mortgage payment on a $500,000 house with uh, on a 30 year fixed mortgage at 3% versus 6%, that's about an 85% difference in price. Okay. You know, what is it? 95, 96% of people in this country buy homes via a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, 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 I mean, it's just, it's, it's stop, it's going to stop real estate dead in its tracks. Um, I, I think the economy is in free fall. So will that hit oil demand for a little bit? Yes. Um, but it's not like it, it is peaked. The only thing that's going to bring oil prices down. And I think that you could see them drop for a period of time as low as 80 to 85, maybe lower, but it's really unsustainable. And why is it unsustainable? Because there isn't enough oil to produce profitably in the world below 65 or $70 a barrel to meet oil demand. And people aren't going to sell it at a loss, right? We see what happens when oil gets too low, production shuts off, right? So um, the everybody's acting as if inflation is peaking. China's economy is effectively on lockdown and the Fed rate increases this quick are basically imploding ours. So it's going to be nothing about the supply demand side of oil coming in balance. It'll all be about just government suppressing demand. Um, And I kind of think that's what's going on. And, and, And the reason I think it's going on is I think, you know, we've long said that, that, well, I thought, and we'll see how it plays out, but that this cycle would end with the Fed having to choose between inflation or the stock market. You can't have both. Well, I think they're looking at the elections coming up in November and realizing that, that the vast preponderance of people out there whose votes they want to win are going to be far more negatively impacted by continuing skyrocketing energy prices than a crashing stock market. And so I think for the interim, they're picking, they're picking inflation. As soon as, now, this is what I would think. As soon as the election's over, I think you'll see them pivot back the other way and try to find a balance in between them. Um, because if they keep hiking the way they're saying, Todd, they're going to blow this entire economy up. You, you can't raise rates this fast with this kind of debt overhang. Yeah. And I think that there's this funny thing. I did this uh, project once for um, a company, and this is before you and I knew each other. Gosh, this was 20 years ago. In fact, I had a little, uh, a little boutique creative firm. So I was doing a lot of corporates consulting and kind of boutique things like um, team alignment activities. And, and um, we got, we, we created a, a concept for these guys to show people, they were trying to bring people who weren't educated into the market into their services. So sort of an entry system. And so we went downtown to Seattle and we went outside um, banks and we had hundred dollar Amazon gift certificates for people who would participate um, and in fact, we went in, we went outside Fidelity. We went outside some banks, uh, U.S. Bank and, and I think Seafirst Bank back when it existed. And people would come out and we had our cameras, you know, very friendly in a suit, tied short hair at the time, no beard. Uh, at that time, I didn't carry an AR-15 all the time. I didn't have all the, you know, um, uh, all the weird tattoos on my face. You, you didn't have ammo. You didn't have ammo belt strapped across your chest. Not that you could see. <laughs> not, not so that you could see him. And, 
Um, we'd ask people to come in, Hey, would you like a hundred dollar Amazon certificate? Here it is. Uh, just to answer a couple questions. Uh, take about 10 minutes. Sure. All right. So, Hey, we saw it and don't mean to, you know, disrupt your privacy. Just notice you're coming out of the bank. So, uh, um, in there just, you know, depositing paychecks and stuff like that. Yeah. Just normal banking stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so obviously you have a job. Good for you. Wonderful. And, uh, what, what do you do? Oh, I'm in this field. Okay. So do you invest in the stock market? Oh, no. No, I don't have anything to do with the stock market. Uh, it's crookery. You know, I don't have enough money. I, I wouldn't touch it. All right. So, but do you have a savings account? Well, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I have a savings account like and a money market. Oh, okay. All right. Where do you think, um, where do you think the bank invests their money? Stock market? Yeah, it's yeah. one of the places. So one of the places. So you actually yeah. are in the stock market. Yeah. And, and people would look behind him like, what? Yeah, no, so you are, you, you're not getting any of the increases, but you're, you're in the stock market, but they're not, you know, they're not sharing those profits with you. And, and you're not sharing the losses either. It's safer, but you're in the stock market. And it was this funny thing where then they realized like, but, but then I should be getting the upside. Yeah, yeah, you probably should, but you're not. And we, yeah. we, so I think that's one of the reasons that they do the shell game is a lot of people don't think they're in the stock market, but if you have a pension, Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but if you have a pension or retirement plan, I mean, in one way or another, you're exposed to the stock markets. And I do think, yeah, obviously inflation is easier to see. Gas prices are nuts. Food prices are nuts. Travel is nuts. It's nuts. Um, but we're all exposed to the stock market in some way because we've decided to be, um, we've decided to be in an unhealthy way enmeshed. Am I, am I wrong? I, no, I, you and I haven't talked about this before on or off the air. And I think you're hundred percent right in the term that we use to discuss this is the financialization of the economy, mm. right? Meaning that we've seen several examples of this, you know, the old adage used to be it's the stock market, not the economy, right? The economy isn't the stock market. And I, there's several different aspects and different ways to look at this, but I think that this is the best way to look at it. So the, just think about this. Everybody knows that we're in a consumer driven economy, right? And what is the largest outside the more millennials, which are just at the beginning of the wealth accumulation phase. So it doesn't really count yet. Um, but other than them, what is the largest, you know, generation in the history of the country? It's the baby boomers, right? Well, they're also the wealthiest generation in the history of the country as well. So who owns the vast majority of stocks out there? The baby boomers. Who is also reliant on stocks and stock performance to fund their income? The baby boomers. So this was one of the dynamics we were talking about on our show back in December of 2018, meaning, you remember how the market crashed right before Christmas? It didn't crash, it was down like 20% though in like the six or, or eight weeks leading up to Christmas, right? Right at the end of 2018? Yeah. Well, um, one of the funny things that happened after that is they announced that consumer spending in the fourth quarter also dropped something, if I remember correctly, it was like 9.4%. And everybody, when that data came out in January, everybody went, oh, that's why the stock market was down 20%. And we said, no, the reason consumer spending was down 9.6% was because the stock market was down 20. And if you think about it, if you're relying on an investment portfolio to fund your spending, and all of a sudden that portfolio, that business, if you will, loses 20% of its value in six to eight weeks, you're probably not going to buy quite as many GI Joes with the Kung Fu grip, right? It just, <laughs> Even with the double right? Kung Fu. And the double Kung Fu, exactly. Right. And, and so you, you, you point this out perfectly. You're going to see people in completely unrelated 
slated fields losing their jobs. And in a chain event type scenario, it's going to be because of a stock market drop because there's so many businesses now, there's so many parts of our economy that are totally reliant on the ever increasing, supposedly ever increasing prices of stocks in the market and, and consumer spending is one of them, right? The, The largest generation, the wealthiest generation is almost completely reliant on stock market returns to fund their spending. When, when those accounts get hit by 30, 40, 50%, that alone will cause a massive recession and a huge drawback in consumer demand. So I, I agree with you hundred percent. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there is a swath of the economy that isn't, if not directly, very indirectly impacted by stock market now, just because of the spread of financialization. Well, okay. So you have the spread of financialization and I love the way that that's, I love that phrase, but then you have the consolidation of the financialized. So, right. Right. And, and that's where we get back to the villains that you and I so often end up discussing BlackRock, um, Vanguard, um, the Gates Foundation. Um, there's a great article about the, um, oh gosh, this lady has this great phrase for it. It's, it's effectively about the weaponization of, of nonprofits. Um, and I'll try to find what she calls it. She's a Substack writer, but she has a great, great phrase for this, that this is the way that people are hiding all sorts of evil things they want to do um, and are getting away with. And that bridges over to me. Um, I want to talk about food and famine and futures, because do we really want, um, do we really want to make money on, on telling people, Hey, that food's going to cost a lot more. She calls them a uh, philanthropaths, like a psychopath philanthropaths. Um, her name is Margaret Anna Alice. Great writer. I, I love that. I wish I could write this way. Um, Margaret Anna Alice through the looking glass, the anatomy of a philanthropath, dreams of democide and dictatorship. If I could write this way, I'd sit around just writing all day. And I wouldn't even need anyone to read it. I'd just sit back and go, dang, I can write. Look at that writing. Uh, um, so, but I do, I want to, before we talk about food, because the, the supermarket guy said prices are going up, 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 up. Uh, you said something in the green room when you and I were sitting and eating mints together with the staff and the writers for, you know, putting our teleprompters together that you said, uh, you said there's a weird thing. Oil stocks, petroleum stocks are behaving one way and being treated in another. And then tech stocks are behaving in a different way and being treated in yet a different way. So explain that. So I guess the tech stocks are still the darlings, but the, the oil stocks, they're getting poo-pooed on. Well, I, I wouldn't say the darling. I just think, to, so if you, th- if you sit back and look at what type of, you know, earnings pressure that so many of these tech companies are under, how the, how the shine has absolutely come off of them, yeah. um, how interest rates are going up. And remember, it's just a, it's just a, it's just kind of a, a basis in financial fact. When you have these extraordinarily high multiple high valuation type stocks that have little to no real cash flow, the higher interest rates go, the harder those things get pounded. So if you think about the run-up that tech has had, right, it's the biggest, longest bull market in U.S. history, led uniquely by one sector, um, you know, that had an unprecedented weighting in the S&P. And if you think about all of the bad things happening in the economy, the NASDAQ is now 30% off of its all-time high. If you look economically at the commodity sector, it is literally in the, you know, a 180 degree different position, right? It is on the other end of it. Record profits that are increasing all the time. Um, and it has to do with supply imbalances, meaning 
you know, we, yeah, price of oil could get hit, but when you go look at these oil stocks and the prices they're trading at right now, they, they if you just showed me the price of the average oil stock right now out, out there, um, I would assume based on the valuation of the stock that oil was trading somewhere between 50 to $60 a barrel. Okay. It's not, it's at 110. So, so in the last year, the NASDAQ stocks have peaked and they are now 30% off their highs with literally, you know, everything going against them economically. Yeah. Energy stocks are now also 30% off their highs <laughs> with literally everything going for them. And so I, I think, I think there's a, I think there's a, I think there's a couple things here. First of all, I think that this is somewhat common um, in the sense that whenever you see a sector dominate that long and when it's rain comes to an end, it's not a smooth transition. It usually takes a while because you get the people jumping back in, always wanting to buy the dip. Right. Yep. Um, but I also think it points to how distorted and how fundamentally blind these markets have become. You know, you're panic selling oil stocks at four times earnings, but you're holding on to tech companies that are trading at 15 and 20 times revenue yeah. while interest rates are skyrocketing and inflation's at a 40 year high. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the game too. This is, you know, 25 to 35% pullbacks in bull markets in commodity spaces are normal. They're not fun, but they're normal. But it just still shows you how far away from bottom I still think we are. Meaning when, when a market finally bottoms and all the nonsense is over, you don't see these types of discrepancies, right? This stuff is the stuff that gets ironed out in the wash. So, you know, everybody's wondering is the worst over, you know, on a fundamental valuation basis, Todd, uh, and to me, it looks like you're only about 40 to, or, you know, 50 to 60% of the way there. I mean, I, yeah. I think that this has a lot further to go and it could get substantially uglier. Well, um, on that topic, uh, the most fascinating thing around the climate goals in um, yeah, Northern Ireland, it's just fascinating that there's some things apparently they have to do. We'll talk about that because it weirdly lines up with things that Bill Gates wants done. Weirdly, it's so strange. And at least they won't need a bunch of fertilizer, which is, hey, oh, by the way, that stuff's all getting really rare, too. So we'll talk about that with Zach Abraham. So Zach uh, just mentioned um, our friends at Bonefrog Coffee. True story. Um, that's a that's a company that. Oh man, I beg I beg Tim one day to let me tell the the full story. So it is a great story. It's a 25 year Navy veteran. He is a Navy SEAL, um, and he started the coffee company number one because he liked to provide for his family. Cool. But then the principles, God, country, team, well, that goes to providing for his family. But the team part, Bonefrog, because of who Tim is and who the team is, they put a huge premium on hiring vets. Um, and then with their vendors, the companies with whom they partner, they put a big, big effort into hiring, you know, working with veteran-owned companies. I continue to get emails from people. You just heard Zach, one of the guys, you know, looking at him to do financial management and, and handle his uh, retirement uh, planning portfolio. And he wants to know, do you have Bonefrog Coffee? Do you have Allen's? So he's investigating behind the scenes. Is this real? And it's in Zach's company, right? So that's the coffee they pour there. It comes around on a range of delivery methods. So K-Cup, that's the stuff that, you know, little tiny cups you get at Starbucks, not at Starbucks, but at Costco. So here's what we ask is that you try the product because obviously given who the show is and, and who we are as a podcast family, we're all going to love that. But we ask that you try the product and make a decision based on the product. So you go to bonefrog.us, 
you will get 5% off lifetime subscriptions there. It's bonefrog.us. And when you buy, they're going to ask you where you bought it uh, or where you heard it from. Obviously, you're buying it from them, but let them know you heard them from us. And that's how we work together to help Tim build his company. It's bonefrog.us. And incidentally, um, if you come to our house, it's all Bonefrog all the time. I travel with it. That's that's true. I, I rarely travel, but when I do, I take Bonefrog with me. So, um, yeah, in Northern Ireland, they've got these climate goals, Zach, and it's a zero. They got to get down to zero carbon emissions. So the way that they're going to do this, it's legally binding. Um, their bosses there pass this on to the people. So they this is the way it's phrased. They need to lose more than 1 million sheep and cattle. So I don't mm. know, I don't know how uh, that would be a process of misplacing them. Um, that you, you, I mean, you just, well, they're lost. I mean, I guess that's a loophole in the law. Oh, I, I sheep. I don't see no sheep. There ain't no sheep here, you know, and it's lost. That's where, that's where you leave the one to find the 99 maybe. Oh yeah. Right? But see, but then you're bringing the Lord into that love and compassion and abundance. Uh, that's the Lord's style. The world economic forum style is to create shortage. Um, we have that. We have, an Israeli company um, coming to the United States, a foreign company uh, coming to the United States. They're getting 9,200 acres of farmland in Indiana to use. Uh, see, this is to grow food for, um, no, I'm sorry. It's for solar panels. It will be the largest solar farm uh, in that part of the country ever. And that, you know what, with that solar farm, Zach, they might be able to power a small, um, you know, cottage for, for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking at all the shrinkage of lands and food prices going up. And number one, do you guys see any sign in the market analysis that we're not headed for some, some problems uh, with access to food? Um, I mean, I mean, anecdotal, I mean, not anecdotally. I mean, you can look at the price action yourself. Um, and it's, and it's extreme and there's, there's absolutely zero evidence to slow it down. There's really nothing to slow it down at this point. Um, again, remember markets are forward looking too. And one of the other problems you have is, you know, people are like, well, Biden, if he got out there and said this, it wouldn't have an impact on the reality. Well, it would, because even if you were tempering your approach and, and making sensible changes or sensible tax, if you will, even if those things aren't going to happen for, for several months out, it would still build in different price expectations, but they're not even doing that. Like every single thing, every step they take, like you just said, 90, you know, 9,600 acres of farmland being converted into a social, right? That in and of itself is probably not going to make, you know, a, a dollar's worth of difference in chicken or something like that. But it's just one of many different stories that add up where you're looking at it and going like, Look, one of two things has to happen, right? Either demand for food has to drop dramatically. And there's only way to make, there's only one way to make demand for food drop, right? It's, it's yep. people dying, right? right? Well, um, I mean, but that would, look, let's not go there, man. Cause that, that would take like a worldwide effort to inject people with like a, I don't know, like an, an, an RNA thing that would be like a hidden time bomb for some people. That's, we can't get there. We're still making vaccines yeah. with eggs, so let's let's slow down. Sorry, I didn't yeah, mean that. I know. It. Well, and then and, I mean, you just I mean, just think about just think about the allocation of resources. 
you don't even have to get into really the data to understand how stupid this is. Yeah. I, you think about the allocation of resources. Okay. We, we, it, I mean, bring in a NAG gas pipeline, right? How, how much, you know, how much, uh, you know, how much carbon emissions is that? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculously clean already. Right. Or let's, let's build a new plant and you could build it on, you know, what? One hundredth of that amount of land, right? One hundredth of that amount of land. And you could power probably three surrounding counties, if not more, off of that one new plant. And then you could, it, it, it just on the face of it, when you, one of the ways that we look at companies uh, is, I, you know, the car, you know, the company Carvana, have you heard of that company? Yeah, yeah. that's the, you, you love these guys. This is where you buy cars with credit cards. You, you drive by, yeah, yeah you, you, you walk in and you buy a car with a credit card and there's, yeah. there's and, a vending and, machine. Yes. Yeah. They have the car vending machines. Um, I, I've been begging on that company for years and, and we were driving by one of those vending machines it, when, and when my wife and I were in Phoenix and uh, I just started dying laughing because it was the first time I saw the car vending machine. And I looked at her and I go, that company's a zero. And she goes, what do you mean? And I go, anytime I, you see management misallocating capital that ridiculously, get out, right? Get out of the way. Well, here the thing was up at like 480 bucks a share or something like that. Now it's down to 20. Yeah. Um, so not quite a zero. Yeah. We'll see if it gets there. But my point is, is that you don't even need to know the end of the story, right? It, it gets into kind of that ecclesiastical Proverbs take on things. Just show me how you're allocating capital. Show me how you're allocating resources. And that is the most ridiculous allocation of resources, especially in Indiana. The breadbasket. Are you kidding me? I mean, if you want to go throw up solar energy farms in, you know, the Badlands or New Mexico, you know, the back countries, New Mexico, or in, you know, places in, you know, out, outskirts of Las Vegas and stuff. Okay. I, I get that. That makes some sense. But in Indiana, I mean, this is insane. And then the other part of it, Todd, is at the very best, it's an inefficient form of, of inconsistent power, right? It's a, it's just an add on. It's not, it's not base load power. It's not, it, you can't count on it, right? We don't need incremental power increases. We need base load power, right? We need something to back stuff up that's running all the time. So it's, I mean, if I don't think you would have any other way to look at this scenario and think it wasn't some giant conspiracy, unless I had footage of that discussion between Biden and Macron. And this is why I'll continue to say, oh, okay. you know, and I think you and I uh, okay, on that one, Zach, you and I agree. We watched that, but then there's my three layer meta, my three layer cake metaphor, and let's name some names here. Uh, let me let me start with Bill Gates. Is he stupid? No, no. All right, uh, Mark Benoff, stupid man. No. Peter Thiel. No. No. Richard Branson. No. All right. So these guys are all backing fake meat. Um, they are all lining up now with Tyson and Cargill, two of the largest meat processors in the world. And here's a funny thing they're doing is they're, they're replacing animal proteins uh, with these fake meats. And now there's a huge lawsuit because they're lying about the amount of protein in these, in these fake meats. And they see this as a market growing 20% per year. Here's the thing. They, you know, um, I think we can agree that Monsanto um, is owned by, by Satan. 
Right. If not, if not, I'm one of his brothers. Right. Um, yeah. And what they're doing with, with I've, somehow I've got back on the Monsanto thing. I'm just watching. It's just pattern recognition. I'm watching what they're doing with the food supply. Monsanto was first. They went and patented fish and then made them so they don't have to reproduce. Did the same thing with grain. Grain now no longer reproduces. They'll sue you if an inch of it shows up on your property. It's terrible. Now you have Gates and, and Branson and uh, Benoff. They're patenting these proteins. So you want that? Oh, well, then you have to get it from us. And it, oh, by the way, it, if you wanted to create more diabetics, this would be the way to do it because they replace animal fats um, with vegetable fats, which incidentally have a whole bunch of things that missing. Like they don't have vitamin A, vitamin K2. They're loaded with um, omega-6 uh, linolytic acids, right? LAs. This stuff is terrible for you. It's going to give you diabetes, but Pfizer lurks in the background with diabetes drugs. So they're ready to go. And right. So then, and but wait a minute, who's a big investor in Pfizer? Oh, that's right. Bill Gates is a big, big, big investor in Pfizer. This is the dude buying up all the farmland. Um, those guys together with Buffett control the railroads. And what did the railroads decide early this year? We're going to go ahead and slow down the shipment of fertilizers because Putin. Okay. Yeah. Three well, layer <laughs> cake. Three layer cake. Again, I say they're doing the same tactic here that they did with, with, with um, early treatment for the COVID. They're doing the same yeah. tactic here. Oh, I'm sorry. We're out of actual food, but here's some plastic. <laughs> yeah, snack on that. Right. Well, no, it, it, look, it, and, and, and that's why, you know, in my business, you gotta, you gotta be careful with what you say, but, but the, the, the point you make is really simple because we've heard this. I mean, literally a lot of these folks have said it themselves is that if we really want the full conversion into a carbon free uh, future, um, we need to increase the prices of oil, right? Yep. Um, it is, it is only natural to me that they would think to extrapolate that same idea onto other things. And then you and I both know the way these guys think these cats are not, they're sociopaths, right? And so they may truly believe in climate change, but then they're immediately going to look at that and assess it and go, okay, how do we make maximum profit on this thing at the same time? Right. And I I don't think there's any question that there's an element of conspiracy. Um, What I would say, I think is a lot of the people carrying this out. I think a lot of the politicians are just useful idiots for these guys. Yeah. Right. The, yes. Yeah. The Biden story. Yeah. And, and, and that was evident listening to, to Biden's conversation with Macron. Um, here's the, here's the one thing that I don't think that they're really thinking about the kind of storm that they're about ready to create the, the, the you know, the American consumer is not just going to swallow this. I mean, there will some, some of them will, but I mean, they're not going to swallow this. People are going to revolt. And I think it's going to lead into a complete turnover of political power. Um, and I think that's going to really, uh, really upset those guys' apple carts. And I, I just, this, and the reason why is because you can't make the kind of conversion that they're talking about making. You can't do it. You can't do it gradually and you can't do it in an unviolent way. Um, prices are going to get out of control really fast. And, um, there's going to be, there's going to be massive tumult. And again, I, these guys don't care, right? I mean, they just, they don't care. Right. No, I think that's evident. That leads us, though, into this conversation that, um, I mean, given the business you're in and what you do for us and how you steward finances for people, 
and I know you take it seriously, uh, it raises a huge question for me because I, I've I shared the story of uh, the tow trucks on the beach with you as my metaphor on inflation before. I don't think so. All right, you'll like this one. You'll like this one because it leads into this discussion about famine, food, and futures tonight on Scare America. Famine, food, and futures. Um, yeah, speaking of that food and that the the making of diabetics. Truly, here's a little bit of free nutritional advice from a, a non-doctor, non-nutritionist, but a guy who lost, uh, no, I'm not Northern Ireland. I didn't misplace the fat. I took off unwanted fat. Honey, where'd I put my fat? Did you look in the drawer by the bathroom? Your fat's in there. No, I, I got rid of, uh, rid myself of 150 pounds of fat. By the way, you know how you, you know what happens? You know how that goes away is you exhale it. So bizarre. Your body converts its energy. <sighs> what are you doing? I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm exhaling fat. 150 pounds of it. Little free nutritional advice. Never go in the center of any supermarket for any reason. Walk the outside aisles. If people did that, or, and this is, I'm stealing, that's mine. Because the diabetes making is in the inside aisles. If you want to be a diabetic, never go to the outside of the store. And then this is stolen from Tim Ferriss. Never eat a food that's white or could be white. That's a real quick way um, to control your fat. Never eat a food that is white or could be white. Now, that's boring. Here's another way to do it. Go work with Soda Weight Loss, S-O-T-A, weightloss.com. And here's what they're going to do. It starts with a phone call and a conversation between two human beings, a nutritionist and you. And a real exploration into food in you. Food is more than sustenance. It's, it's emotional support for people. Some people more than others. It's pleasure. Look, there's things I like to eat. And you know about my rituals. I, I share them on the show. Like I, I am able to sustain those rituals. Other people have other rituals. There's foods that are ritual foods for you. Then there's foods that are cravings. And they're going to ask you about that. But while they're asking you, they're putting together a puzzle. Because what they need to do is figure out how to unlock your body's decision to hold on to carbohydrates and turn them into fat. That's what happens. And that's the diabetes part. And that's, and I'm not saying you have it, but that's the way to get it. And the American food manufacturers have been part of parcel of this. And it's very sad to say, but like adding fake sugars to everything. So Soda Weight Loss can help you turn this around. They've done this for my wife. She's on her 14th successful week. I'm losing track of the number of listeners who've joined Soda Weight Loss at sodaweightloss.com to drop this fat. But truly, this is one of the ways that we stay outside of the grip of the party. You know what the party hates? True, true story. They hate healthy bodies. They like to have their own healthy bodies. I mean, look at that Bill Gates. Well, but not him. Look at that Joe. Well, not Joe, but look at that. You know what I'm talking about. They hate us being healthy. Sodaweightloss.com. Sodaweightloss.com. Okay, so um, Zach Abrams with us, knowyourriskradio.com. Zach, so uh, you ever been to Long Beach in Washington State? Yeah. All right. So we used to go to Long Beach and we'd take our git fiddles out there and we'd take some wetsuits and we'd put wetsuits on and splash around in the waves and get out and, and play guitar for a while and um, drink, you know, a beer or two, nothing, un, uh, nothing unreasonable or no, you know, no driving drunk or buzzed. We do that all day, you know, two beers. And at, at night when the tide would come in or whenever the tide would come in, it was often at night, people, um, newcomers to the beach would have parked their cars in a place where they thought it was safe. Cause at that point it was safe, right? 
car drove fine. Yeah. Right there on the sand. But the water's coming in. So you'd have the tow truck drivers wait for a strategic moment, and then they'd drive down. They'd say, hey, do you want to help getting your car out? No, I, I can get my car out fine. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's, 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 it's only 200 bucks. No, like I said, I'm good. Okay. All right. Good. Well, see you in a bit. And they knew because these guys, this is what they do. And people would then get into their cars and think, oh, yeah, maybe we better move them. Maybe, maybe the sand is wet enough. And then they discover that they're not moving really well. And I watched a guy do this with a brand new Mustang convertible. I mean, this thing was at the time, what was an expensive car, you know, 25 years ago, it was like $40,000 then. So equivalent of like a hundred thousand dollar car now. Yeah. And he's stuck Zach and he's trying to dig himself out. He's got his girlfriend and he's employed her to try to dig. And it's just bothering the car out. So the tow truck driver comes back by. And at this point we'd already taken our car and parked it in the street. So we're watching now. And the tow truck driver comes back and goes, Hey, did you want to get that help? He goes, is it 200 bucks? He goes, no, it's 400. Well, you said 200. I did, but that was a half hour ago. No, 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 I'm good. All right. I'll see you in a bit. See you in a bit. Yeah. So now the front tires are in water and the salt water's coming up to the engine. And the, another tow truck driver comes by and he goes, how much? He goes, 600. No, he's not going to do it. Finally, when the car front of the car begins to float, the, no yeah, the original tow truck driver comes back, goes thousand bucks. Okay. Okay. You got to give it to me now. I don't have a thousand bucks. Give me your car keys and your registration and your license. And he pulls them out. And he says, I'll go, hold, I'll go ahead and hold on to your registration, to your car, your license, and your car keys while you figure out how you're going to get me my thousand bucks. So the guy goes, uh, somehow succeeds in getting the tow truck driver a thousand bucks. So here's, here's Bill Gates. Uh, yeah, uh, the fake meat might seem really expensive uh, right now, uh, but as you can see, uh, other meats are going up in, in costs and we have energy uh, costs. So you'll really, um, you'll, you'll pay my cost eventually when I'm the only game in town. <laughs> He's the tow truck driver and we're sitting here with our Mustangs like on the beach. I think that's how I've used this. Now, you and I are different in that we have food storage and capacity to get our own food. But my question is for you and me as, as discipled men trying to be disciple makers, um, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we play the futures game on food? Do we buy food cheap? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's for the same reason that, and, and, I've, and, and I've actually had this conversation with a surprising number of our clients. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't, it does nobody any good for, for, right. A drowning man can save no one. Okay. And, um, like, you know, wise as serpents, gentle as doves, right. Okay. Um, we, you know, people, people have asked me, I've gotten some of those questions about the energy trade. You know, are, are we capitalizing on other people's pains? And I go, listen, everybody who's not a client of Bulwark Capital, I do not have a fiduciary responsibility to look after their cash. I got to do what's best for our clients and, and not just look out for their cash, but their life too. Right. Like, well, you know, how do you hedge your clients? How do you offset the pain of, of rapidly rising prices, you know, put things in their portfolio to benefit from it. So yes, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I, I think that I think in from meeting so many of the listeners on your, uh, to your, to your podcast, 
your show. I, I think that I put them in the, the same category as well, which is these are people that are doing the right things, trying to do the right things, trying to be good people. The more resources that they have at their disposal, the more people they're going to help and the better the world is. But yes, absolutely. And I think not only is it okay, I think it's, I think it's incumbent upon us to do the things that are the best that we can see to protect us and protect our families and also protect the people that we're, we're going to need to help during tough times. Yes. And that doesn't, that doesn't harm um, anyone, I guess it's, it's like, you know, my, no. my, my increase in pay isn't your decrease in pay. Is there a way that the financial markets can help um, smaller, honest food producers? Like, uh, cause they, the, the banksters play these games of carbon ratings and ESG scores. And I mean, would there be a way for decent, you know, God fearing financial people like you to help uh, for us to help small responsible producers of foods like local, like we know the people who grow our eggs, they're, yeah, I'm pointing. We're not on video, but they're just up the street. Um, I know the people who provide a lot of our foods uh, here locally, and that's a blessing for me. I mean, the fish. I go to a fish guy. I, I know my fish guys, Kevin and Tim, Thursdays. They're on 4th Street in Coeur d'Alene. I see Kevin and Tim every Thursday. I know where the fish comes from, and I buy directly from them. I take it home and grill it and eat it all week. Um, so is there a way to help people like that? Because what I really, what I really want to do is on a parallel economy um, approach is sidestep these foodsters or these, what you call them, uh, philanthropaths. Yeah, no, uh, there absolutely is. And we've actually, we've actually done this in some certain circumstances for some of our clients, which is, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's relatively simple depending on what kind of operation they've got or what they're farming. It can be a little more complicated, but Pretty much, if we look at futures markets, we look at options markets, I, I mean, it's, it, let's put it this way. It's hard to find something that you cannot play via futures or options, yeah. right? And by sitting down and going through their business and looking at their cost structures and what they pay them, you know, what materials are the most important to them, how much fertilizer they use, we can actually position, position an options portfolio that hedges their exposure. So if their costs in this certain thing go up 40%, we can position, now don't take me literally here because I don't know the percentages off my hand, but essentially if, if your costs over here go up 40%, we can build it so a portfolio can go up 60%, you know, in a commensurate way over here to cushion you. Now we can't do it for everybody. Obviously it depends on the size. Uh, it's very hard to do it on a very small scale. So like if somebody had, you know, 20 grand and wanted to, uh, wanted to hedge their, you know, their, their 30 chicken coop, egg, you know, stuff like that. That's too small scale. We wouldn't be able to do it, but yes, there, there, there are absolutely things that you can do to hedge your own businesses. And we've done it for multiple clients, um, sitting there saying, okay, if the biggest risk, uh, one of my uncles, a perfect example, my uncle is a, uh, an owner operator of a semi truck, right? A little semi, uh, hauling company. And, uh, and so we we put together a portfolio for him that is hedging the price of diesel. So if diesel goes up anymore, it's gonna make him this much money over here. And so basically he's not concerned about continuing rising and rising diesel prices. It's not gonna impact him. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so there's lots of stuff that you can do. But, but this is why, you know, this is one of the things that we're talking about on the radio all the time is 
you know, don't just sit there in a mutual fund or organic or just generic stock portfolio and ride the ups and downs with the markets. You know, you know, if it, especially if you're, especially if you're a farmer, right? You need a, you need a very specific portfolio that's designed to protect you, right? And, and, and your particular situation, but yeah, you can express, I, and that's one of the beautiful things about futures and options markets, Todd, is yeah. it, it, you can express almost anything. I mean, a, anything you need to hedge, anything that's a risk to your business, we can probably put something together to, 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 to mute or, or it, it contain that risk. That's cool. Except for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we haven't found a way how to do, we haven't found a way to do that, man. Yeah. Or, or money managers for that matter. Yeah. I don't know how that would get done. Who's the, um, the marketer who was the, who, who did things all wrong, but, but got the very best results. Oh, this, I feel like this is one of your trick questions. It is. Uh, oh, oh, you're talking about Kathy Wood? No, I'm talking about the Lord. Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Look at this. I mean, um, human, human psychology is sometimes depressingly easy to play with. Um, so, right. so back in the day when we were doing our first startup or internet radio startup, we needed to get internet service providers to agree to give us an exclusive deal where we would be the internet radio, uh, for their start page. Because back in the day, all the internet service providers had a start page. So when you logged onto your computer, you know, it was, hey, AOL.com uh, or you know, Earthlink.com. And so we went all around the country to what we were doing is building a radio network. Because back before you could do geotargeting or anything like that, um, we could do it. So, oh, oh, so we've got Las Vegas, we've got Seattle, we've got Los Angeles, we've got the biggest ISPs around the country. We are their internet radio provider, period. No one else can be that. It's on their bandwidth, no other internet radio provider, period. That's it. It's us. Um, and the way that we did that was we flipped it on people. So we would go into town and we would tell people we were interviewing prospects to get into the Earth Broadcasting Network. So we, we would spend our sales time asking them questions and making them defend their businesses. Oh, no, no, we're very, very profitable. And, you know, and, and here's where, and we know we've got this many happy customers and this many people. And, and we would sit there and listen, okay, well, we'll let you know. Well, what do we need to do to get into the Earth Broadcasting Network? Well, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a stringent review process. And we are seeing some other people in town. Well, who are you seeing? Well, I couldn't really tell you. And it worked. It's like the law of the velvet rope. I need to get in. Like, we need this deal. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, there was a, there's, a, 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 they're evil, horrible people at Adbusters, horrible people, um, terrible, trying to destroy America, but they're really creative. They did a project in France. Um, well, no, it wasn't in France. It was France and Germany um, along the Autobahn. They put up these incredibly beautiful billboards. So beautiful. And the name of the product was nothing. Trademark. And they had these beautiful, like um, very subtle blues and, and grays on this incredible creamy white background. Ask your retailer for nothing today. And they had people all around France and Germany, all along the Autobahn going in and say, I need to have nothing. Well, we don't know when it's coming in. Oh, will you, will you be stocking nothing? They were demanding it. Jesus went to the small towns to the out-of-the-way places, to women in, inhabited by demons, 
to adulteresses at wells. He went the very opposite way. He was invited to have dinner with the power brokers. He's like, nah. No, but you don't get it. Jesus, you don't know who's going to be here. Like the mayor and the and the and the the Roman authorities are going to be here and we hear Caesar's cousins going to be here. Yeah. No, I have dinner with the prostitute tonight. Yeah. He did it all wrong. And yet through faith and through because he was the Lord and through modeling, um, he did it all right. So my last question for you this day, Zach, is this. How do we as parents and grandparents, how do we model the walking of the line between what you're describing of hedging and, yep, we are going to buy futures. Foods are going up. We're going to buy it. So we're going to give that money. Uh, We can help others. We can help ourselves. A drowning man can help no one. What is the number one thing you do as a family to model um, that, that right behavior so that our kids don't fall into the trap of the velvet rope or the, I have to have nothing. Like, how do you do that? Well, we, I mean, I can tell you how we're trying to do it. My kids are 12, nine and seven. So, you know, a bit too early to declare victory. Um, it, one of the one of the ways that we do it is funny. We actually had a conversation with my daughter the other night, um, who was twelve years old, and she was annoyed with some some acquaintances of hers, and because all they talked about was what car their mom was getting, and yeah. it was just amazing to hear it coming from my daughter, twelve years old, and yeah. and it's a bit the, the materialism is just dripping off of these people. Um, and one of the ways we do it is, is by giving and giving as a family and making it a priority. And I, I don't like to get into specifics because I'm just a big believer that, you know, uh, that's between me and God and, and my giving should not be an advertisement. My giving should not be about building myself up. But I, I think it also helps to keep money in a, um, a money in a healthy uh, perspective as well. Like the more I make, you know, our kids try to teach our kids thinking about, the more you make, the more you can give rather than, you know, changing that dynamic is in the more that I make, the more that I can buy. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and just thinking about that and then involving them in that process, you know, they're not in all of it because there's some of those things that I don't want them running around talking about knowing about, but they're involved in, in a lot of the different giving that we do. And just prioritizing that we don't talk about, you know, we don't let our kids have smartphones, um, you know, so there's other countercultural things that we're trying to teach them all the time, but, but we're, it's funny you bring that up. Cause one of the things that we're constantly talking about and I'm hitting the kids on all the time is if you're doing what everybody else is doing, 98% of the time you're doing the wrong thing as it relates to God. And then also probably as it relates to just the generic quality of your life, right? I don't think you have to be a Christian to buy that, but certainly as it relates to God, do it all the wrong way. Don't prioritize the money. Don't prioritize the, the consumption and the spending, prioritize the giving. And the one thing my life is a representative of, and I know people have probably heard this, and, but I, and I've told my own story and testimony on your podcast before, that when, when giving became the focus and, and the success didn't, uh, way more success came than, than I ever could have imagined. And, it, and I don't say that I'm not preaching prosperity gospel at all. But what I am preaching is I am a firm believer. I've seen it over and over. You cannot outgive God. And um, prioritize the giving in a world that is all about consumption, in a world that is all about me, that is driven by social media, which is just us building statues and altars to ourselves, right? Let's build a, let's build a culture and be people that are about giving and helping. And that, and that what we get out of it is just a secondary, uh, secondary effect. Yeah. 
And, and it, I love that. And one of the big changes that's happened to me is I've been discipled and becoming more spiritually mature uh, is I truly believe I don't own anything. I, I truly believe it all comes from God. And so the other day, my daughter said something really nice to me. She said, um, mom was telling me about some of the deals with the podcast you're talking about and some of the stuff that might happen. And, and I'm really proud of you for that. And I, I get teary eyed because, you know, my daughter's a teen and that sometimes you don't get as many compliments. And I said, Hey, wow, that, that really makes me feel loved to hear that. And let's just remember that this is all God. And let's remember again that you, do you remember how you felt when you said, I am leaving radio? Do you remember that you, I said, do you look concerned? And you said, yeah, I'm concerned. She said, I mean, I know you do this all the time. I know you've done this many, many times, but you're so good at radio and I'm really concerned. And I said, well, but the Lord will be there. And I think that's one of the other things that we need to do actively is just remind our kids, hey, you know what, that food you're eating, make sure that we truly do thank God for that. Right. I think that's one yeah. thing we need to do. Zach Abraham, always a pleasure, my brother. It's knowyourriskradio.com. Knowyourriskradio.com. Do go with God's good grace until I see you again soon. Hey, you too, pal. Always a pleasure to come on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. Uh, and yeah, be mindful of the fact that we didn't make any of this. The Lord did. <laughs>